Are we living in the last days? With everything going on in the world today, in the Ukraine today, between Russia, um, that certainly lends a sobering backdrop to this series that I certainly didn't anticipate months ago when I planned this series. And again, it is so heartbreaking. Please be praying for the Ukraine. Please be praying for the peoples of Ukraine, for God's intervention. We've all seen the stories. We've seen the devastation of cities, over a million refugees trying to escape that country in just, just less than a week. Um, people dying. Um, pastor wrote to uh, the community group, Bible group, and just shared how there were fires all around the nuclear power plant. Um, there was just reckless bombing of that area. If that, that or any power plant were to catch on fire or hit with a, a missile, uh, that disaster would spread out far beyond the Ukraine very quickly. We live in sobering, serious days. Please be praying for the Ukraine. Please be praying for Russia as well. Um, the Russian people are not our enemy. Most of them are not behind this attack. Many soldiers are not behind this attack. The Bible tells us we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with spirit powers and principalities in dark places. So pray for the Russian people as well. Many of them are suffering as well. And so uh, we want to see this war, this attack. I wouldn't even know that I'd call it a war, this attack. We want to see it come to a, a quick resolution. But in the meantime, we have a very serious situation going on in it. I want to, um, I want to I want to bring us to Matthew 24. We're going to read beginning of verse 36, but just to kind of lay the groundwork, Matthew 24 is uh, one of the clearest and most detailed descriptions of what the last days are going to look like, as I interpret it. Now, you may see and read these things differently, but it is to me the clearest, one of the clearest, most detailed descriptions found in the Bible of the last days. Jesus says, it will be, the last days of this earth, before his return, will be a terrible time. In fact, he says, it will be worse than any time before it, and worse than any time after it. It will be the worst of times. In fact, Jesus said, had, if he did not come to interrupt it, there would be no human being that would survive what's going to come to this earth. What he describes are birth pains of wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and God's supernatural judgment beginning to pummel the earth one after the other after the other. Culminating in the visible and glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. No one knows what's going to happen in Europe. No one knows. That's the backdrop for this sermon, but no one knows what's going to happen in Europe. And if anybody tells you they know, they're mistaken because we do not know. We hope, we pray, it de-escalates. Amen? We hope things calm down. We hope that cooler heads prevail. We hope that there's wisdom shown on a world level. We pray for peace and for uh, intervention and for protection for the Ukrainian people. 
but it's a tinderbox. And I'm sure you know it's very serious. The Ukraine could fall to Russia as inevitably it seems like it will, apart from a supernatural intervention, and the world will express its condemnation and then move on. That's a very likely scenario. But world wars start when one wrong thing escalates a second wrong thing, and before you know it, you've got an escalation that goes on. That's how world wars start. We don't know. We hope for peace. We pray for peace. But we don't know. And we don't know how this interconnects with scriptural prophecies about the last days. And Jesus, in Matthew 24, tells us how we are to live with the uncertainty of not knowing. Beginning in verse 36. Matthew chapter 24 Verse 36, Jesus says this, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Jesus says no one knows the day or the hour. Not the angels and not even Jesus in his human nature knew. His omniscience knows, he knows now, but his human nature did not know the day or the hour of the return of Christ and the last days when all this would unpack. If you hear someone claiming they know the day or the hour, you can dismiss them right away. You can dismiss them right away because Jesus said no one knows. And then he goes on to say that it will be like in the days of Noah. Now, the days of Noah were a day, was a day when calamity was promised, it was impending, judgment was impending, but most people had no idea, and they just went on doing life. They ate, and they drank, and they got married, and they gave away in marriage, and they did life with no understanding of what was coming until the very beginning, raindrops began to fall, and Noah entered the ark. What's going to happen is going to happen so suddenly, Jesus says, that two people standing side by side, working side by side, lying in bed together, one will be taken, I believe that means in judgment, and one will be left. And it will happen so suddenly that the one who is taken in judgment will have no time to change their status to be like the one who is left. There will be no time. So we don't know. So what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live without knowing? Verse 42. Jesus says, therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Church, we don't know. We don't know. 
But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Two things, Jesus says, keep watch and be ready. Keep watch and be ready. Because we don't know when he will return. Keep watch and be ready. And Jesus then tells four parables that I think unpacks what it means to keep watch and be ready. And in essence, I'm going to sum it up saying, watch for Jesus and do what God has given you to do. Watch for Jesus and do what God has given us to do. In other words, don't unplug from life. Years ago, you probably, some of you probably remember this, a well-known radio personality claimed he knew the day that Jesus was returning. It was May 21, 2011. Now, we know immediately when somebody says that to dismiss them, but a lot of people took him seriously, and a lot of people quit their jobs, sold everything they had to buy billboards and what have you, and basically unplugged from life until that day. Well, Jesus doesn't tell us to do that. Jesus doesn't tell us. He says, watch and be ready. Look for Jesus and do what God has given you to do. Do life, what God has called us to do. The early church lived with an eager expectation. They lived with an eager expectation that Jesus could return at any moment. They lived in that place. Jesus could return this moment. And they lived with that eager. Paul mentions, just for instance, he mentions baptism 14 times in his epistles. He mentions the return of Jesus 50 times. It was on their minds that Jesus could come back today. They lived in that place of expectation. And that didn't stop the early church from doing life. It didn't stop them from doing ministry. It didn't stop them from, from investing time and heart and labor. It motivated them to do that. It didn't unplug them from life. It plugged them with a whole new source of power and energy and motivation and joy and urgency. When I was a young Christian, I, I became a Christian based on a book about last day's prophecy. And uh, the, the book so, so spoke to my heart. I so saw what they were writing about. Now, I don't agree with some of the, many of the things probably in that book today. But at the time, as a 17-year-old, 16-year-old, it was just hitting uh, home. And, and I realized Jesus is going to come back probably before the 1980s end. I was sure of that. You know, this is the end of 1970s. And I was convinced by what I saw that Jesus was going to come back before the 1980s came to an end. I just knew that. I didn't predict it. I didn't go around telling people. But I just, I believed it. I believed it. Well, guess, you know what? Newsflash. Jesus didn't come back, to my knowledge, before the end of the 1980s. And the end of the world didn't happen then either. So, but it was good that my heart was excited about Jesus coming back. 
I was wrong about the timing. I was not wrong to be expecting and looking for Jesus. There is a motivation in that. There is an excitement in that that I believe God wants every generation of believers to live under. Watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. That's why I don't want to build this series on what's happening in the Ukraine. Here's what I've seen. When Christians get excited or passionate about Jesus because of a crisis, when the crisis goes away, they lose their passion. We want to be excited for Jesus because we're excited about Jesus, whatever happens. We want to be watching and looking. When there is a crisis, we want to be watching. When there's not a crisis, we want to be watching. Because I pray with all my heart that this crisis calms down for the sake of the people that are suffering. But the Bible tells us that something unusual happens when crisis is calm and then back away. There is a sense that we begin to think, well, first of all, if Christians overreach, if we get out over our skis, we lose credibility. Amen? We start saying, this is what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. If I went around writing books and telling everybody that Jesus was coming back in 1988, in 1989, I would have lost credibility. So don't get out over your skis. Watch and pray and be ready. But here's what can happen is there is a cycle of things that happen. And when you're in the peak of that cycle, you can come to conclusions and think, this is it, this is it. If this was 1942, I guarantee you we'd be looking at Hitler and World War II and saying, this is, this is everything the Bible spoke about. He is the Antichrist. Amen? We'd be thinking that. And then it recedes. And it comes down. The world comes down. And life goes on. Here's what we don't want to think. False alarm. False alarm. Because people start thinking, you know, this is just a natural cycle in history. Things just do this. You know, and those crazy Christians keep thinking it means the end of the world and Jesus come back and all that stuff. And they have those sandwich boards, you know, the end of this near. And those crazy Christians... This is just the natural cycle of history. It constantly does this. Calm down, will you? That's the wrong conclusion. That is the wrong conclusion, believer. It's not a natural cycle of history. It's birth pains. What Jesus describes is the pain getting worse and intensifying. And you think you're going to have a baby and then it recedes. And then it comes again harder, more intense. And then it recedes. And that really has been the story of history in many ways. World War I was this bad. And it was the war to end all wars, except it wasn't. Because World War II was, in my estimation, far worse. Birth pains and then recedes. The Bible predicts that for some, the delay, the intense and then receding, the delay and then receding 
or the, the intensity, the receding, will cause some to think, ah, this is just the way it is. Jesus says in a parable, people will say, ah, the master is not coming back anytime soon. And they begin to mistreat their servants because the delay leads them to believe it ain't happening. Peter says there are some who will become scoffers. They're going to scoff in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Listen to what Peter says. He says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. You see what he's saying? They're going to scoff because where is Jesus in this coming he's talking about? Everything goes on as it always has. Natural cycle of history. Come on. It's ridiculous to think Jesus is ever coming back. It's just how history's been. Christian, we don't want to be in that place. We don't want delay to dull our expectation that Jesus is coming back. He could return at any time. Watching for Jesus doesn't mean checking out on life. Just the opposite. It means us leading a more careful and godly life, anticipating that he could come back and I could have to answer to him today. Watching for Jesus has a purifying effect on our souls. John writes in his first epistle, chapter 3, verse 2, he says this, We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Listen to verse 3. All who have this hope in him purifies themselves just as he is pure. What's the hope? That he shall appear and we shall be like him. How might you live your life differently if you knew that Jesus was coming back today? How might you live your life differently if you knew Jesus was coming back today? How might that affect your thoughts or your actions? How might that affect your priorities if you knew that Jesus was coming back today? I'm pretty sure things that seem really, really important right now would suddenly not seem very important. And things that seem not so important to us, perhaps, might take on a whole new urgency. Jesus says, watch. And be ready. I'm, I'm simple with my understanding of be ready, but when I read the parables, being ready just means do what God has called you to do. What he's given you to do, just do it faithfully. If you're a servant, serve faithfully. If he's given you talents, invest them faithfully. Do what he's called you to do. Whatever God's made you, do it to the glory of God. If he's made you a husband, or a wife, a mom, a dad, a friend, whatever God's made you, do it faithfully as unto the Lord. And stay busy. Let Jesus find, when Jesus comes back, I don't want him to find me up in the mountains waiting for his return. I want him to find me in the saddle. I want him to find me busy 
Stay busy. Stay busy. Let Jesus interrupt your day when he returns. Stay busy. Be the best, whatever God's called you to be, that you can be. Be the best husband, the best wife, the best mom, dad, friend, coworker, the best neighbor, best ministry worker, best pastor, missionary, church member. You can be. So when Jesus returns, let him find us faithfully doing what Jesus has given us to do. Let's not check out, let's step up. And the big thing Jesus gave us to do is the Great Commission, to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. As I shared at the conference, that was, that was the theme. And I wish we had more time to just unpack that. But that is the mission of the church. Church, that is our mission. It's, it's the Great Commission, and it is the great mission of the church. It's the job God's called us to do individually, but also together, to share Jesus Christ, to make disciples, to go, to go. Now, for some, going means crossing the ocean. And for others, going means crossing the cafe to talk to somebody. And sometimes crossing the cafe can be harder than crossing the ocean. But go, go. You have a mission field. There are people in your life who don't know Jesus. I guarantee it. I, there's people in my life who don't know Jesus. I want to share just a couple areas that I'm committed to growing in and that I'm trying to do and, and um, just to encourage us in this. Um, when I'm walking into a context with people, particularly those that are not believers, I'm trying to ask God to give me eyes to see. I am a, I'm thick-headed and I just get kind of focused on what I'm doing. I've been trying to pause and say, Lord, give me eyes to see. What do you want to do here? What do you want to do? And a heart to share Jesus when opportunity arises. I think that prayer and that pause to say, God, give me eyes to see people. Not just agendas, not just what I have to get done or task list, but see people. And slow down enough to see the opportunity when opportunity comes just in the last couple of weeks, the Lord's given me an opportunity to start sharing uh, or to grow a connection with somebody um, that the Lord's been developing. And um, recently he shared some things that uh, he says, I don't normally tell people, just from his life and just hard things. But um, I was able to, to talk with him about prayer and about Jesus. But I'm not pushing and I'm not trying to, you know, get weird. I'm just, I'm trying to be accessible and, and relatable to him. But I'm bringing Jesus into the conversation. I'm bringing prayer into the conversation. And just letting God, just press it slowly. But I'm also beginning to see him in a different light than when I would just see him in passing and say hello. Because I'm beginning to see what every human being has, and that is a life behind the surface. And often heartaches, pains, needs that we know nothing of. And we can't do anything about all that. We're not the Savior, but we can point them to Jesus, can't we? And we can tell them about our Savior. And we can love them. Another thing I'm really deliberately trying not to do is get distracted by lesser Gospels. There are a lot of things we can get passionate about. And that's not necessarily wrong. That's not necessarily wrong. But let's make sure we don't substitute the gospel that can save eternal souls for a gospel that can't save anybody. There is one gospel. Jesus said, go and preach the gospel. Make disciples. Teaching them 
to obey me and my commands. I am the Lord over heaven and earth. All authority has been given to me. I am the only name that can save. So that's the gospel. Now, again, we can, we can have other things that we're concerned about, but I don't want to disciple people to follow my opinions. I don't want to make people look like me. I want to help people to look like Jesus. Amen? That's what God's called us to do. Jesus gave us the Great Commission. Then he left us in this broken, hurting, sinful world. And I don't know, do you ever feel weary about it all? Do you ever get weary at all the heartache? Do you ever read the news or you know someone going through, someone's lost a loved one or a friend has passed on and, and you just, you grow weary at all that's going on? And with that can feel this desire to check out. Being ready means we don't check out. But we roll our sleeves up all the more to serve, to love, to share the gospel of Jesus, to love people, and then trust the Holy Spirit to do the work to save them. Whenever Jesus returns, let's, whether it be in our lifetime or not, let him find us busier than ever doing what he gave us to do. There's one more thing I want to say as we kind of bring this to a, a close. One more thing about what it means to watch and be ready for Jesus' second coming. And I want to point something out that if you read carefully, you may have noticed, and it may have bothered you a little bit, that when Jesus talks in the passage we read about the consequences for those who weren't watching and weren't ready, the stakes are eternally high. It's not just a matter of Jesus comes and some weren't watching and some weren't ready, and they got the surprise of their lifetime, and after they get over the shock, they laugh and say, good one, Jesus, you really got me then, that one. I had no idea. It's not that kind of a surprise. In the parables that Jesus speaks of, unpacking what it means to watch, they are taken in judgment. They are cut into pieces in one parable. They are shut out from the wedding feast in another parable. They are cast into our outer darkness in the third parable. And in the fourth, they are told, depart from me. We might start wondering, are we saved by watching and being ready? Like, is that how we get saved? Can we be lost forever if Jesus returns and we're taken by surprise? And we weren't in high alert? I want to remind us, church, we aren't saved by watching and being ready for his second coming. We are saved by believing and trusting in what Jesus Christ did in his first coming. Jesus came to die on the cross to pay the infinite price for our sins so that we would not have to pay that price. Jesus gave his life on the cross, rose from the grave, that we might not be condemned for our sins, but be forgiven, cleansed, made righteous, and have the hope of eternal life in us, all based all based on believing and trusting in what Jesus Christ did in his first coming. Let's never lose sight of that. So I think what this tells me is that watching and being ready isn't so much having prophetic timelines and all these like different 
predictions and try to figure out if this is that and that is this and, and is Putin the Antichrist and all these kinds of things. That is not what it means to watch and be ready as I understand it. It's definitely not predicting when Jesus is coming back. I think at its core, it's simply longing for Jesus to come back and set things right. Lord, come back and make this crazy world right so that when we hear about horrors and and destruction and death and, and all these things, it's like, Jesus, come back and make this thing right. Set up your kingdom. And I want to just say something that, you know, I, I, I think is okay. I think we can long for some things in life. Like, I think it's okay to want a long life and want to watch our children grow up and, and see them get married or see our grandchildren. I don't think that's, like, wrong. I kind of think it's kind of healthy, actually. And yet, while we're doing that, while we're loving life and enjoying life and, and loving people in our lives and, and treasuring moments, and, and it's okay to want to see these precious moments in life, inside there is this longing, Jesus, set it right. Set it right. And somehow those two things, I, I think, can live in our hearts at the same time. And I think that longing for Christ to come is not how we get saved. I think it's a byproduct of being saved. And one person, the person next to you might have it more than you, or you might have it more than them. Some of us might be less looking and ready and watching, and others might be more. But it's by the grace of God, it's in all of our hearts. We look and long for Jesus Christ to return. This world is not our home. It's not our eternal place. And we long for him. Paul makes clear, and I'm closing with this. Paul makes clear the connection between Jesus' first coming and his second coming in Titus chapter 2. Verse 13 and 14. He says this. For the grace of God has appeared. That's Jesus. The grace of God has appeared. First coming. Bringing salvation to all people. So grateful. It's for all peoples. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Man, I'd love to preach this whole passage, but I'm not going to. But don't ever let somebody tell you that the Holy Spirit and the grace of God trains us not to live godly lives, that that's legalism. No, the grace of God teaches us and trains us to live godly lives and not love the world. But listen to verse 13. That same grace of God, while it's working in us, it also has us, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself first coming for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 
Do you see the connection? We are eagerly watching for Jesus' second appearing because in his first appearing, he gave himself for us to redeem us from our sin and lawlessness. And in turn, this stirs our hearts to cause us to be zealous for good works. It's all connected. It's all built on Christ. And it's all built on what he came to accomplish the first time he came. So let's watch for Jesus. He could come back today. And let's do what the Lord's called us to do faithfully. Let's double, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's do it with more passion. Let's watch and be ready. And let's pray. And I'm going to ask the worship guys to come back up here. Father, thank you so much that you, Lord, we're glad you didn't tell us the day or the hour. We don't want to live with that knowledge, Lord. We're, we're okay being in the I don't know place. But Lord, you've given us signs. We want to be aware of those signs. We want to be watching the world and, the, and, the, and history with a biblical understanding, but also without being presumptuous. Mostly, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit will stir embers in our hearts, Lord. Maybe some like myself sitting here watching online have lost some of that eager expectation that Jesus is coming back. Have lost some of that, like that's what it's about. I'm looking for that day, excited for that day. Maybe, maybe some of us have lost that. And we've kind of got interconnected with things in our life. But Lord, I pray you stir and you, you lift our heads up in this day. That we lift our eyes up. We look up for our redemption draws nigh. And Jesus is sovereign over history. And he's sovereign over what's going on today. So with faith, not fear, we, we, we call upon your name to do great things in this day and hour. And use us, Lord, to be part of that. Use us to help people come to know Jesus, we pray. Help us to be faithful to do diligently what you've called us to do. And even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.